Welcome to the Deep Dive, Emerald City Hockey's Seattle Kraken podcast. How's it going, everybody? Welcome back to the Deep Dive podcast. RJ, our first ever Kraken postseason podcast. Like, this is, that's pretty exciting. Yeah, it's, it's a historic podcast uh, for us with the Kraken about to head to their first ever playoff series. Yeah, and against the Colorado Avalanche. So, of course, the deep dive this week is going to be into a series preview for that matchup against the Avalanche. We've got just a ton of stuff to cover when it comes to that. We'll, of course, also talk about the Kraken finishing up the regular season. They hit a couple big, important milestones there. And then, obviously, all the news and notes from this past week or so, because there have been a lot. But we do have to start with uh, this other big, important Kraken story. And that is that the Kraken and its community lost one of its voices this week with the passing of really a Seattle hockey icon and member of Sound of Hockey and Andy Eyed. Our condolences go out to his family and RJ, you were fortunate enough to work alongside him for the past two years. How you doing? I'm, I'm doing all right. I mean, it's it's been tough for everybody in, in the Seattle hockey media. I mean, it was some really tough news that, that hit the other day. And I think for a lot of us, we weren't necessarily expecting it. Uh, the last updates that we had gotten seemed like it was you know trending in the right direction. And Unfortunately, that wasn't the case. And um, yeah, I think we're all just kind of coping with the, the fact that we're, you know, we're not going to get to see Andy again. And, and um, for those of us who were lucky enough to get to know him, um, you know, it was, it was just such a privilege for the time that, that we did have with him. And he was just a fixture in the Seattle hockey scene, um, you know, not just covering the Kraken, but all the way back well before I was even born. Um, and, and just his presence every day I know is going to be missed. Uh, the term like gentle giant has been thrown out there a lot. And I, I agree. I mean, um, he was, he was just such a, a friendly person that always brought positivity uh, into every single situation. And um, it, it was just great to have him around. And I think the outpouring of love and support that, that we've seen from every corner of the hockey world, I mean, further than I could have imagined, uh, for Andy, I think just speaks to the kind of person that he was. Um, you know, I was lucky enough to get to know him a bit and, and talk to him. And I was always just struck by how much he seemed to genuinely enjoy life and just enjoy what he was doing. Um, I always thought this, this is the right way to be, you know, just following something that you absolutely love and bringing joy to the people around you while you're doing that. Um, and not to mention, too, all, all the work that he did to help get NHL hockey to Seattle. I, I talked with John Barr about this the other day, and, you know, he and he was back there from well even before the beginning and, and kind of helped them all through that process. And I can confidently say I, I don't think we would be doing this right now if not for the work that that he put in, you know, there with John and, and those guys to try and get hockey here. Um, so I'm grateful for that. And um, I also, I just want to send condolences to everyone who's, who's dealing with his loss. I mean, especially Darren and John from Sound of Hockey, who I, I, I talked to them. I even recorded a podcast with Darren uh, kind of the morning after. And I know he was really struggling to get through that one. And um, I spoke to John that day too. And I, I know how tough this is on them. You know, we, we talked together about all the, the response, the love and the support um, that, that we've seen, you know, for, for Andy. And on the flip side for them, though, it's, it's kind of this constant reminder that that he's not there. And I think, you know, the, the tough reality of it is that like nobody deserved to see this Kraken playoff run, this T-Birds playoff run more than Andy. I, I think nobody maybe in the world would have enjoyed that more. Um, so, you know, it's 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 sad to think about. And um, 
you know, we'll, I'll miss him. Uh, I think we'll always remember him and, uh, you know, I'll always have him in mind as, as I talk hockey, as I'm about to do now. Cause you know, if, if you knew Andy at all, uh, you know, that's what he would have wanted is, is for people to get together and, uh, just enjoy the sport he loves so much. So I think, you know, this whole playoff run, I think we're, we're kind of thinking everyone in the media landscape is just, you know, in his honor, uh, to a degree. Cause that's, that's what he'd want. He'd want us to enjoy this. He'd want us to get together and talk hockey. Cause that's what he was all about. Yeah, I unfortunately didn't get to know Andy uh, with me being based down here in SoCal. But I mean, based on all the stories and hearing everybody talk about him, I know that that is that is my loss that I didn't get to know him better. And obviously uh, his family and, and everybody's going to be in our, our thoughts as the Kraken do approach this first playoff run for them. Uh, and that does lead us into the news, RJ. Uh, the Kraken have practiced the last two days. You've got some good sound bites I hear and obviously just the, the ability to report on what you did see. Uh, so let's talk about how the Kraken are getting ready for Colorado. First off, I mean, the back-to-back -back practice days, that's something I can't even remember the last time the Kraken did something like that. Yeah, uh, Mike Benton even even remarked that at that when we were talking to Hackstall today. You know, I don't remember when the last time we got a couple practices back-to-back -back was, and Hackstall kind of joked, well, must probably training camp, I would think, uh, would be the last time that happened. So... Yeah, the Kraken were able to to string a couple practices together these last two days, which is an opportunity that they really just haven't had all season. Uh, what with especially how condensed it's been since the uh, since the trade deadline, since the All Star break, and also with all the travel that they've had to do. So um, I, I think they tried to make good use of those two practices, especially today. You felt like a ramping up of intensity in the practice. I don't think there were any kind of special wrinkles or anything new that they worked on, uh, but you did see a little bit of contact. You saw some very hard skating and, and you saw it really at game speed. I think this was kind of that, that last dry run that you're going to get before you get thrown into a game. Yeah. And you know, that's, that's interesting, but I do think that it's important. I mean, we've talked a lot these last couple podcasts, RJ, about what playoff hockey is, how intense it is, all of that stuff. I mean, you do have to kind of practice differently for it. You got to get yourself into that mindset because once the series starts, it could be too late. And so I, I applaud uh, Dave Haxtall for getting the team ready there. Um, should we talk Should we talk injuries first, just because we do have a little bit more clarity on that front than maybe we did a week ago? Yeah, I think that'd probably be a good idea. All right. So the, the first and the biggest one is going to be Andre Burakovsky, not going to be joining the Kraken for this um, the, the beginning of the playoffs anyway. Uh, why don't you tell us kind of what uh, the team kind of finally updated us with with him? So we got the update from the team right after the final game of the regular season. In fact, we, we saw it first when we were doing our post-game live yes. uh, after that Vegas game. And the update was that uh, Andre Burakovsky ended up having surgery. He had another setback uh, on his lower body injury. So he had surgery and that he will miss uh, the start of the playoffs. I think it was reported by, by Jeff Baker in the Seattle Times that it would be at least the first two rounds, that it was a six-week type of injury. Uh, we got a little bit more clarity on that from Ron Francis uh, a few days later after that first practice day where he was talking about Burakovsky and, and kind of the whole process. He said that initially they ex had expected him back four weeks after that first injury in that game against the Islanders. Then he suffered a setback, and so then he was kind of working back from that, as we kind of knew at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, but then 
he suffered another setback about a week ago. And I guess there was hope that he would return in time for the playoffs until that setback about a week ago. And then once that second setback happened, uh, the team ultimately decided to, to go the surgery route and that that was what was best for him. So certainly would not expect to see him in this series against the avalanche. I would be shocked to see him uh, even anywhere in the first two rounds. I think they're going to be careful with this one. Yeah, and we talked about this a little bit. Uh, I don't remember. If, I think it was the podcast before the last um, about the idea of, look, we both he's here for a while. That's the contract you signed, given where the Kraken are at. Kind of, you know, they're a wild card team this year. The expectations will be greater next year. Rather have him rest and recover fully for next season rather than maybe try to push it for a playoff run this year. Uh, it is, you know. It's, it is disappointing that he's not going to be able to face his former team in the Colorado Avalanche. I think that would have been a lot of fun for him. It would have been a lot of fun for us to cover and watch him do that. But, uh, yeah, I do think that the Kraken, you know, they, they obviously know the most about this situation. They're going to make the, the best call in their minds, and I trust them a lot when it comes to this sort of thing. Um, Martin Jones was another one that was kind of like a, an up-in-the-air situation uh, as of last week. Came out of a game, didn't really know what the situation was with him. They call up Joey Decor, so that tells you he's obviously not, he wasn't going to be available for the end of the regular season there. But we also have more clarity there as Joey Decord gets sent back down to the AHL, and it sounds like Martin Jones is ready to go if needed. Yep, Martin Jones is healthy. He's back. He's fully ready to go. He's been practicing the last couple days, uh, taking the full complement of practice reps, and, and I think he looks actually pretty good. I think one of his better practices in the last few months was today. Uh, he was making a lot of good saves, looked pretty solid in his crease. And um, yeah, he's he's ready to go, I, I imagine. Dave Haxtell has not named a starter for the start of this series, but I imagine Martin Jones will uh, will be starting on the bench. Yeah, I, I got to think that they're going to go with Grubauer, especially against his former team. We will talk about all that later on when we get into yeah. our series preview. Um, any other uh, big, big news and notes you want to talk about here? Right. Well, one last injury to discuss, and that is Daniel Sprong. So he was missing from practice yesterday, missing from practice today. And yesterday, Dave Haxtell did update us that he is out day to day. I don't think he said injury or upper body, lower body, anything like that. Just said he's out day to day. So um, we can imagine that, that Daniel Sprong's dealing with a little something injury wise. Uh, don't know what his status is going to be for game one. Um, I did see him you know, walking around in the locker room. He didn't, you know, there was nothing obvious. Uh, so I imagine it might be the type of thing you could play through in the playoffs. I don't know. That's just speculation, but um, you know, nothing obviously catastrophic, but uh, yeah, day to day, we'll see where he's at for game one. Uh, Jesper Froden was taking a spot on line rushes, by the way. Yeah, that one, that one's a little worrying. You know, he's obviously been a big part yeah. of the scoring depth on this team. You could see him being, you know, a potential kind of X factor for this lineup uh, against a Colorado team that's a little more top heavy as far as talent distribution goes. Uh, so, yeah, that one that one is definitely something to keep the eye on. Um, what else you got? All right. So I, I want to talk about the travel a little bit because uh, yeah. this was something that, that turned a few heads. Um, so the Kraken uh, right now, they are still in Seattle. They're not going to actually by the time this podcast comes out, they'll probably still be in Seattle. They're actually leaving Monday afternoon uh, for the Tuesday game against Colorado. And this is something that we asked Dave Haxtell about. And he said uh, yesterday that we want to get to Colorado as late as possible. Uh, and 
kind of citing the, the team's rhythm and, and knowing what's best for the team and everything. And there's kind of a, a weak follow-up, like, well, why is that? <laughs> and he's like, well, it's, it's not having to do anything with the altitude or the acclimation or anything like that. It's just about our own rhythm and we know what's best for us. And so I kind of followed up on that today because he did make a comment yesterday too. He said, if we were playing Dallas, we'd be on a plane right now. And so that would not quite account for just the one day difference. That would be almost yeah. two days earlier that they'd be heading out. So um, I was curious about that. And since they did practice again today, I asked Taxital today, was, was getting that practice in and having it there at KCI a factor uh, in trying to get to Colorado as late as possible? And he said, no, it's not. We just, we know what the rhythm is and we just feel like that's best for us. So I don't know exactly what the thinking is there. Just, just thought it was kind of interesting. It's very interesting. Like, I, I don't know entirely what to make of it. I don't know if that's, you know, obviously, like he's saying, they know their rhythm. I trust Dave Haxtell to understand that locker room and know that locker room. That is his job. And I do think that he knows that. Um, I don't know if, you know, the analytics department is speaking about this, although I can't imagine what that would be like. The only thing I can think of, RJ, uh, is that, you know, look, this team was a road warrior team. They were really good on the road. They were able to get some, do some incredible things on the road this year, including break some sports records on the road this year. And the only thing I could think of is sometimes when you leave on road trips, uh, you've you've just played a, a game in your own barn, and then you've got you know one day to get to the other town across the country, and so that's just how travel is kind of in the regular season. And given how well the team traveled in the regular season, they just wanted to kind of keep that atmosphere and rhythm going. But I mean, that's that's the best I've got anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess that might make sense. It doesn't uh, explain try and replicate that as closely as you can, but it doesn't explain the Dallas right. strategy. Yeah, that's the that's the peculiar bit for me. That that one is very interesting. I mean, maybe there's something that we don't know about, like the availability of practice space or something like that there, or something about you know later you know midweek starts versus traveling on a weekend or I don't know. Who knows? Like I said, the I, the Kraken's analytics department's got all sorts of numbers and things from the history of hockey. I'm sure they're looking at. I'm sure the team has its reasons and they're well thought out and I'm sure that they would not tell us. So, <laughs> exactly. um, you know, come playoff time, you, you can't really get information about that stuff. If they feel like they have a competitive advantage from something that they're doing, they're not just going to tell the media. And, and that's, that's understandable. Yep. Um, otherwise did the, did the overall like feel of the team, like it sounded like everybody was, was, you know, in, in positive spirits, they were in a good mood. They were ready co to compete, ready to play some playoff hockey. Oh, absolutely. They were. Um, and one thing I've liked seeing, too, is that the team is still feeling kind of pretty light, pretty loose. Uh, you, you're not getting guys all of a sudden just getting really serious. I think as much of a cliche as it is, it does kind of feel like business as usual for the Kraken going into these games. They're not really changing their demeanor or anything. I mean, even just today, um, Oliver Bjorkstrand was doing his media availability in the room and, and you know, Maddie and Magna and Everly were all just joking about pregame meals and stuff. Uh, it, it's just, it was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, they're, they're still joking around. They're still keeping it light, keeping it loose, which I, I think is really important when you go into the playoffs because mm -hmm. There's a time for on the ice being serious. And once the series starts, you'll be locked in. But I think you, you don't want to get to the nerves too high about it beforehand. No, exactly. And uh, I guess, you know, the other big question I have anyway, and then I'll let you kind of clean up this this topic with anything else you want to add. How the playoff beard's coming along. 
you know, they're coming along. The guys are getting started. And that's the other part of uh, just kind of on the lighter side of things, too. Guys are joking around about the playoff beards. I, I had the chance to talk to Ellie Tolvin and yesterday. And, of course, I had to ask him who's going to have the best playoff beard in the room. And he said, maybe Magna, maybe Larson. Uh, there, you'll like that Adam Larson was included. And, of course, I had to ask, you know, who's going to have the worst? And he's like, oh, probably Maddie. Right, without missing a beat, probably Maddie, you know, maybe me. He's, I can't really do anything there. He just yeah. gestured at his at his chin. Um, and then when Yanni Gord entered the room later, he saw Yanni and he's like, "Oh yeah, no, Yanni probably will have one of the worst." Also, it's true. I'm trying to remember Yanni's runs with the Lightning, RJ. I don't remember the greatest of playoff beards there. I don't either. I, I can't really picture that, to be honest. Of course, Matty Veneers kind of surprised me because, I mean, for a 20-year-old especially, um, he's got a pretty good thing going there. So, yeah. of course, I had to go talk to Matty and uh, and tell him that uh, that Tolby did mention that he, he might have one of the worst. And he just said, oh, yeah, no, Tolby just likes to mention my name whenever it's anything worse, just worse than whatever. He'll save me. Yeah. Uh, looking back at pictures here of Yanni Gord for those lightning runs, it's really more of like a playoff goatee. It's, it's, okay. It's more well, speaking style. of playoff goatees, oh. Dave Haxtell has got his going. So I think that's probably what he's going for. He was, I think of all the guys, you know, he was maybe a little more in the serious mood as you'd expect going into yeah. it. So I didn't want to, I didn't want to like rib him about it, but yeah, the playoff goatee appears to be a thing. All right, sounds good. Looking forward to seeing that for sure. Uh, but like to like to hear that everybody's still joking around and stuff and and everything. I I love to hear that. And it you know good good also that you know at least Tolvanen's trying to keep you know the rookie lid on Matty Beniers there, keep him from getting too big ahead after his incredible rookie season. <laughs> yeah, I guess got to keep him humble somehow. Even I don't know. You, you might need to find something that that fits a little better. Yeah, and of course you know you got to leave it to the guy you picked up mid season off waivers. <laughs> yep. Yeah, I know. That's well, or the or the trade acquisition again. Megna was was yeah. teasing him this morning about the pregame meal stuff. Maddie was the target of that, so uh, I don't I don't think I can get any more details. But like that, <laughs> Maddie was definitely the target. It's okay though, because I I think that that actually speaks volumes about the culture of the team and how how quick they are to kind of assimilate everybody into that group. And and I think also you know what a big part of it Maddie is. Right. If he's the person mm -hmm. like I, that doesn't feel just like everybody's, you know, ribbing the rookie. I think it really is because Maddie is that guy who, you know, is, is always bugging everybody via the group chat and was trying to keep that alive and all that good stuff. I really think that that speaks volumes about about him and the Kraken's culture as a whole. And so I, I love hearing it anyway. Yeah, for sure. He's he's one of the group <laughs> for sure. Yep. Uh, anything else before we move on? Uh, no, I think that that just about covers it. All right. So uh, nothing that we won't cover in the uh, in the series preview because got a lot of good quotes from the guys over the last couple of days. But I think they fit best when looking at this uh, matchup between the Kraken and the Avalanche. Definitely, definitely. Uh, Going to go light here for like the week in review because, you know, some of the games weren't the greatest uh, of things to talk about here. But two things happened that I did want to talk about. Um, both of them happening happening in Arizona, Mullet Arena, game I was at. So I'll, I'll do kind of a quick Mullet Arena review after this. But Jared McCann, 40 goal score in the NHL and the Seattle Kraken, 100 points in the standings. Like both of those were incredible milestones to be able to, to see um, just throughout the year as both team and player in this case, McCann, have just gotten so much better and, and they both you know, both the group and the player have worked so, so hard to reach this point. It was really, really awesome to see them, you know, hit those milestones. 
Yeah, so impressive and something both the team and player can kind of hang their hat on. Although I know which one of those two Jared McCann cares about more. And yeah. guess what? It's not his own goals number. Nope. Nope. Yeah, definitely not. Uh, definitely a team first kind of guy. I love to see that. Um, and, you know, I'm, I'm just going to say it. I thought the, the league as a whole, national media could have paid a little bit more attention to both of those facts. Felt like both of those were a little light from the national media as, as far as everything went. Uh, I know there's been a lot of 40 goal scorers this year. Goal scoring's on the rise kind of league-wide and everything. But still, I thought it was significant for a guy like Jared McCann. And then the 100 points, the massive improvement year over year for the Kraken. It feels like everyone just kind of got that out of the way back in January. It was like, well, the Kraken are better. That's good for them. And it was like, all right. But like 100 points, that's a lot after, what, 60 last year? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think the turnaround has definitely uh, kind of, you know, it hasn't been talked about as much as you might expect. I think it just happened to be an unfortunate year where New yeah. Jersey had a similarly yes. <laughs> large turnaround and where you also have the best regular season team of Ever. all time in the Boston Bruins. I think it's getting both of those being on the East, too. I think that kind of gets drowned out in that noise. Yeah, I, I think so as well. Um, real quick though, I do want to talk about Mullet Arena. First off, it was awesome to meet everybody there at that game. I don't get out much to go cover these games, so it's good when I am able to. And then especially given the unique setup of Mullet Arena that I was able to, to spend as much time with everybody as possible. So shout out to everybody who either made the trip down uh, from the greater Seattle area or just all of the awesome ECH community members that live in the Phoenix, Arizona area. That was really awesome to meet all of you as well, because there's a lot of you. That was that was pretty, pretty cool. Um, but I do want to just say, because it looks like the Coyotes probably going to be there again next year and then maybe even the season after that. Everybody, next year when the Kraken go there, you got to go down for it. Like if you could afford to travel for one road game all season, I would suggest going to Mullet Arena I, it's just it's such an incredible atmosphere um, obviously it's a very intimate arena it's a very intimate setting you can you know you're right on top of the action like you almost forget that you're watching an NHL game just because it feels like you know I mean RJ where I was I was in the press area uh, which was just at the top of the section at a bar just backed up to the concourse I'm telling you there were games and rinks that I scouted at down here in Southern California where I was further away from the rink and the players I was scouting than you would be in the worst seat of this place at this arena like it, you were just so on top of it it was so incredible um, and it and it's just really really neat it's really awesome that it's kind of right there on ASU's campus it gives the whole thing like a college feel Tempe and and that section of it very much felt like a college town because of the massive school that's there, but you're like, you know, driving into the parking garage and you look over and there's a lawn and there's the cliche, you know, shirtless guys playing Frisbee and all the people out <laughs> jogging and whatever. And it's just, it's college. And you immediately get into that mindset of you're on a college campus. Uh, and then going into the arena, the fact that they do get a lot of visiting fans in there kind of gave it that college atmosphere too, as the two fan bases are trying to out loud each other a little bit. I thought that was a lot of fun and it gave it um, just just a little bit more and a different energy than you're used to seeing for a professional hockey game, but one that was very welcome to me anyway. So I wanted to talk about that. But the other thing that I wanted to talk about specifically, and this is something that uh, we had to get from uh, my mom who actually ended up making the trip with me. She picked up a ticket cheap the night before and I wasn't going to say no to somebody you know helping out with the drive. Uh, so she went there and she got to experience 
experience things from the fan side of it because I had to go in through a loading bay and then through an AC farm and it was a lot. I told you about it behind the scenes, RJ. It was crazy uh, but on the media side of things. But this was really, really cool. So obviously they have a lot of visiting fans go to these games. And these people, the, the security and the event staff who work at Mullet Arena, they are fantastic. They were great with me. They were great with my mom. They're great with everybody, in part because the, a lot of them are just college kids and that's just like their college job on campus. So they're like young and they're just ha like happy to be there and, and fun. Um, but this this I thought was really, really cool. My mom had gone through security and they were all waiting for the doors to open to Bullet Arena. Security woman comes out and tells uh, all the Kraken fans, all right, everybody, we're going to move all you visiting fans over this way. You're going to come in through this door. Let's go in through this door. Uh, ushered them through this this area and right into where the team walks through to go out for warm-ups or that, that kind of glass partitioned alleyway for the visiting team that has to kind of walk in from outside and then go uh, out to the ice to either warm up or get ready for the game. But it was I thought that was so incredible that the arena staff literally just took all the Kraken fans from that side of the arena and were just like, this is where you guys all want to be. Check out your team as they get ready to go out there for warmups. I thought that was a really, really classy move that they made. And then you know what, RJ? My mom got video of it. I'll, I'll throw it into this podcast here. Uh, got a really nice Let's Go Kraken chant starting from all the Kraken fans in Mullet Arena, which just tells you one more time how incredible the Seattle Kraken fan base is. Awesome. I love to see that and from, from the fans. And then also, like, how often do you see that, that, that an arena staff will, will go to those lengths to make sure that the away fans can get the best experience possible? That's, that's so classy. I, I, I love that move from them. Yeah, it was really, really cool. Wasn't expecting it, but uh, it makes all the sense of the world given the way everything is set up there. Um, yeah, I just, it was a phenomenal experience. All the Coyotes fans were really nice. Everybody was really cool. Like I said, one last time, thanks to everybody who stopped by and said hi or did the meetup at intermission. That was really, was really, really neat. Uh, I can tell you, you made an impression on those around me, including Vince Dunn, who more than, more than once was giving me a side eye or an inquisitive look as all these people are coming up and high-fiving me, fist bumping, taking selfies. And they're just walking past him to go do that. He's like, who, who are you? Who are you? I'm Vince Dunn. Who are you? Yeah, I hear from some other people who were there that maybe you even got more attention. You got more people coming up to you than Vince Dunn did. I, that's probably true. It is probably true. Yes, that is probably true. It was, it was really, really cool. Uh, definitely a unique experience, not something you expect uh, when you're going to cover a hockey game that that, that that's going to happen. But uh, yeah, just, just want to thank everybody one more time. And again, next season, if, if, you, if you've got the funds to allocate to a, a road game, I would suggest Mullet Arena. I really would. I think I think you'll enjoy it. I think you'll enjoy seeing the team that up close. And you know what? Coyotes are probably going to be pretty bad again next year, so you'll probably see a w win as well. It's, not, it's <laughs> never a bad thing. <laughs> yep, exactly. And you know what? From from what I heard from you and your mom, if if you kind of wait till the last minute, the tickets actually aren't as expensive as you might think. Is that true? Yeah. I mean, she was able to get one the night before. So it was late, late in the day on Easter and she just checked and she was able to get one for about 66 bucks. Now with, when you add in parking and fees, it's like over a hundred, right? Like that's the way it is. But I think it's kind of like everywhere where that like day before or the day of even, you know, like people are trying to dump those tickets fast. Um, but the bottom line is you can get in probably for cheaper than you would get in lower bowl at CPA. 
you can probably get in there. And then once you're in, I mean, even the standing room only seats, which are the equivalent of where I was sitting to cover that game, you're maybe 15 rows away. That's it. Like, and it's, and it's a pretty steep, like auditorium. So you're actually closer than you would, than you would be 15 rows up at a regular arena. Like there is just, you, you're going to see every like individual hair on all these guys' heads from anywhere in that place. It's awesome. It's, it's super, super awesome. So yeah, definitely recommend that one next year as well. Um, all right. You ready for Colorado RJ? Yes. Playoff preview. Let's bring it on. All right. So, I mean, I don't even entirely know where to start. We talked about them when we went over all the teams that the Kraken could face. We differed probably more on this team than any other team, RJ, as far as whether or not we wanted the Kraken to go up against them. You you thought that this was going to be a good matchup for the Kraken. I'm a little bit more dubious. Uh, I will say I've come around maybe a little bit. I've kind of got to like, I got like a pros and cons list, why this could be a good time to face them, why it could be a bad time to face them. But the bottom line is, RJ, are you still feeling feeling pretty good about this? You know, it's all relative, but I, I am <laughs> still feeling pretty good about it. No, I mean, look, we, we acknowledged before that show, and I think we should acknowledge now that the, the Kraken are going to be an underdog in any series. Yeah. They would have been against the Stars. They are against the Avalanche. Um, I mean, heck, the Athletic has the Kraken as the biggest round one playoff underdogs, according to Dom LeCision's model. I mean, we could talk about whether we, we think that is legit, but um, yeah, I, I still feel fairly confident compared to other teams. Yeah, I feel confident compared to, say, a Dallas or, or compared to, say, an Edmonton or Vegas that they could have played. Um, I, I don't know. I In general, I feel this series, it could kind of you know, go either way mm -hmm. as far as, look, I think the Kraken are more likely to, to be able to pull off an upset than against Dallas or, or Edmonton or Vegas. I think they're also potentially more likely to be swept if things go a certain way. But you know what? Give me give me those better upset odds. I'll take that trade off all day. Yeah, I, I will as well. And I think, yeah, I don't know. I feel like this is the one that is that is best set up for the Kraken to to give a really good fight. And and I think at the end of the day, that's what all of us want is is win or lose. We want the Kraken to feel in it. And we want them to to be around and hang around and and kind of give everybody a little bit of a preview for what this team is going to be for the next half decade or so, which is not going to be an easy out. And they're going to be a real threat to the rest of the NHL. And I feel like this Colorado matchup's a good a good place to do it. And you know what? There's going to be that little extra bit of eyes on this matchup too, given that the Colorado Avalanche are defending Stanley Cup champions. So I think it's a really good opportunity for the Kraken. Um, I, I mean, where do you want to start, RJ? We, we've talked about this a bit in the past. We've talked about how, you know, the thing that kind of scares me about it is the fact that it is, you know, this is a top-heavy Avs team. Uh, you're, you've are you got to deal with guys like Kale McCarr, who it looks like is going to be available for the playoffs. you got to deal with Nathan McKinnon, who got a hat trick in his last regular season game. Uh, you got to deal with guys like Miko Rantanen, who is incredible right like they, they've got the high-end scoring but this is not the same deep abs team that won the stanley cup last year and i think that that is something that definitely falls in favor for the kraken i think that's where you have to start is the the stars versus the depth matchup and i think that's the most intriguing storyline of this whole series is the abs are a, a kind of a top heavy team they they have some of the best players in the world you could argue the best defenseman in the world the top three best forward in the world you could argue uh in makar and mckinnon and a pretty good top six supporting cast for those guys but the reality of a salary cap league 
is that when you have a season like the Avs did, winning the Stanley Cup and just being this dominant playoff juggernaut, you're going to have to make some sacrifices going to the next season. You're going to have to lose an Azam Kadri. You're going to have to lose it an Andre Burakovsky, uh, you know, to the Kraken. You can't afford to keep everybody, and so the depth is going to be a little bit eroded. And injuries, of course, all season for them have meant that the depth has has really been eroded at certain mm-hmm. times. Although it does sound like the Avs are going to get a lot of those guys back, um, that Makar should be healthy for the start of the series. Um, it looks like Arturi Lekkinen is probably going to be okay. Valerian and Shushkin are probably going to be good to go. Um, so that's going to help them a lot. But it's, it's the Stars versus depth matchup because the Kraken have perhaps unmatched depth, forward depth anyway, in the entire NHL. The Kraken can roll four forward lines unlike any other team. And we, we've talked about this all season. If you've listened to us at all uh, over the course of this Kraken season, uh, you know we've, we've talked about the Kraken's bottom six and the depth that they can bring. Is that enough to overcome the Avs star power? That's the big question. Um, Dylan, are, are you leaning one way or another as far as how likely they're able to do that? We talked about this in the playoff preview against Colorado. You said if the Kraken's top six can just – kind of play generally even with the mm-hmm. Avs top six, the bottom six should be able to come in there and take advantage of those matchups. What are the odds you think they're going to be able to do that? It's really, really tough because uh, I can see it happening, but I could also just see, you know, Colorado is Colorado. I'm going to give that about 50-50 odds. Like I really, okay. I just, I, it's unusual for me not to have a gut feel about something like this, but the bottom line is I just don't. And so I don't feel really comfortable going one way or the other with it. Um, I do think that, you know, if, if the Kraken are able to do that, if you're, if you are able to send, you know, Yanni Gord's line out there and to take out the Nathan McKinnon line, uh, so you don't have to deal with that. I think that that does really, really help out the Kraken. I think that's the thing that's going to keep the Kraken in these games. It's going to keep those games close. I think that's when you start talking about like, you know, this could be a six or seven game series with a couple overtime games even just because, you know, it could really turn into a little bit of a slog or or even uh, an entertaining back and forth uh, kind of affair. But the bottom line is when you talk about depth, Kraken, a lot more 30 plus point goal score uh, point scorers than the, than the Avalanche. The big one being how many 20 goal scorers. Kraken having twice as many 20 plus goal scorers than the Avalanche. Now again, you got to think in a, if if healthy for a full season, maybe a Kale McCarr, Valerie Nachushkin, even Evan Rodriguez, maybe they get to 20 goals, and they didn't have that opportunity this year. But the bottom line is, you and I both know RJ with midseason injuries. Even if you can come back and play before the playoffs. All of that stuff is still there. It really takes that that full off season before everything kind of goes away. Uh, so I, I don't know. I don't know how ready to go some of those guys are going to be. All that kind of thing. But yeah, I just I think the depth is really going to be a problem for the Avalanche if they don't have a plan in place. Now the bottom line is they won a Stanley Cup last year and they made it look fairly easy. Uh, I don't know if Bednar is the kind of guy that, without everything going super well for them, can come up with a plan to kind of you know try to deal with the Kraken's depth or deal with some of those issues. I do think this is where their defense though is going to come into it. I don't think their their bottom six forwards are going to be able to help shut down the Kraken's depth, but this is where you know they still have a pretty good and big and physical blue line, and you could see with 
with guys like Josh Manson returning for the playoffs, you know, his job just to be go out there and, and don't give any time or space to these these bottom six guys. Don't give any time or space to a Daniel Sprong or a Ryan Donato or whatever and just kind of try to out physical them. Uh, that that's, you know, I guess what I would do if I was Colorado. I don't know. They just don't have the personnel for the matchups. Right. And that's where the blue line is going to have to come in handy and, and help quite a bit. Cause I think that's an area where Colorado definitely has the advantage and it goes well beyond just Kale McCarr, who might be the best defenseman in the world. Uh, you know, Devon Taves, excellent defenseman, yep. Sam Girard, always a threat from the blue line too. Yep. I mean, his, his offensive chops are incredible. Bowen Byram, a top five pick who's, who's really coming into his own now as well. <laughs> and yep. you've got Eric and Jack Johnson rounding out, uh, you know, the bottom pairing. Uh, but you know, those, are a couple of veteran guys who have been around uh, for a long time. And I think you look at the abs, they can stack those top four defensemen and give them a ton of ice time mm-hmm. if need be. And, and that's going to go a long way towards, especially in those bottom six matchups where, yeah, maybe you have the a Donato, a Tanev and Sprong line that's outmatching the, the abs fourth line. But on defense, you might have a, a, a Gerard and a Byram, or you might have a, a Kale McCarr and a Devon Taves who are there to kind of stop them and, and get the puck going the other way. So I think that can swing things back the other way. So on the matchup side, with, with the Stars versus depth, yeah, I, I'm curious. You mentioned it a little bit. You said if the Gord line can maybe shut down the McKinnon line, or mm-hmm. who would you want against that top line for Colorado? Because you've got Nathan McKinnon and Miko Rantanen likely playing together. They like to stack those two yep. up. I know the Kraken will not control the, the line matchup. So, again, for those who, who maybe haven't experienced playoff hockey a lot before, um, the home team gets what's called last change. And with that, you get to pick which – line matchup you want so the away team sends their players out first and then the home team gets to decide who they want to counter those players with so you're able to generally get the matchups that you want off of stoppages so when the kraken come back home for games three and four they can do a little line matching and decide which line they want to have out most of the time against that mckinnon line who would you go with dylan it's tough because I think, you know, just being realistic, the fact that you're talking about two guys with over 100 points this year on that line, like that's, they are incredible hockey players. Just absolutely incredible hockey players. I don't know that any line matchup that you can have as the Kraken is going to give you an advantage over that line. But I think I would probably go with Alexander Wenberg's line, that second line the Kraken have had. I think that is the line I would use up against the McKinnon line. I think Wenberg is proven to be you know exceptionally good at at helping mitigate damage coming back the kraken's way i think having schwartz around he is somebody who's familiar with them from his days in st louis he's played against these guys before i think he's very good at uh, playing defense along the wings and then if they're going to keep a morgan geeky kind of there on that line that's some size that you can use to throw up against a miko rantanen who has a ton of size of his own but, you know, you can maybe then frustrate him with someone like a Morgan Geeky if Morgan Geeky is going to get a little physical with him. Um, I also feel like that then leaves the Yanni Gord line, which, let's be honest, has been an incredible line all year long at pushing play and driving play into the opposing zone. I want them to continue to focus on that because if you do need to win with that depth, I want to have Yanni Gord out there. I want to have um, Tolvanen out there and Bjorkstrand out there focused on offense and focused on the, on trying to score some of those depth goals for this team. 
Yeah, and that's kind of the trade-off, right? Um, personally, if it was me, I would go with the Yanni Gord line uh, because Yanni Gord, he's been one of the best shutdown centers in the Stanley Cup playoffs over the last decade. I think you have to go with your best on their best. And yes, it would be a tough trade-off to not get their offensive zone time as much. You may need to rely on that line to score. To beat the Avs, mm -hmm. you may need goals out of that line, and, and you might not be able to get those if they're up against McKinnon. And, and so I understand the Wenberg idea, because especially then with the Wenberg line, you can just have them focus almost exclusively on yeah. defense. That yeah. line doesn't need to score. Yep. You know exactly what your job is. And Morgan Geeky, too, he knows from his role as, as fourth-line center, kind of the other role he's played this season, how to be that shutdown guy and, and how to do all those things. And especially playing the wing, he can take some of that defensive responsibility, too, uh, from if Wenberg needs to kind of commit to somebody. But uh, what you mentioned, too, that I like about the Gord line is they play their best when they're spending a lot of time in the offensive zone and trying to break in the other team's zone. And – I think Ellie Tolvanen may have talked me into this a little bit because I was asking him the other day about the prospect of his line potentially getting that matchup against mm -hmm. McKinnon. And he's seen game for it. He's like, yeah, we, we obviously don't control that early on and we, we're not like thinking about it 100%. But if that were to happen, I think our line plays best when we're solid defensively, but we also spend a lot of time in the offensive zone. And I think that if we played against the McKinnon line and we were able to have the kind of offensive zone time that we usually do, we could really frustrate them. And mm -hmm. it seemed like he was kind of up to that challenge. And, and that's one thing that line is so good at is just spending a lot of time in the offensive zone. And I think that against the McKinnon line, if they're able to do that, it, it could frustrate them. Yeah. And, and that's ultimately what you want to, especially with Yanni Gord being able to kind of get in those guys' faces a little bit too. I want that line frustrated. And I think the Gord line has the best chance to do it. Yeah, I mean, the, the one thing that worries me about that line being it, because I totally understand wanting Yanni Gord out there, is is the wingers is is Bjorkstrand up for that task defensively is Tolvanen who has shown great strides in improving his defensive play and his back checking but is he up for that task defensively you know what I mean like I worry about I worry about those two being able to withstand a, a Rontanen and a Lakenen coming in on them and being able to withstand that matchup and their movement in the defensive zone you know what I mean that's that's kind of the thing that worries me a little bit there yeah, and maybe I let Tolvanen's enthusiasm and Bjorkstrand a little bit today because we got to talk to both of them. I, maybe I let that get in my head a little bit too much, but I, it seems like they're up for the task. To I, me, it seems like they're up to it. I like that. I, if they're if they're hungry for it, I say go give them that chance. I mean, we'll we'll obviously see how things go against Colorado first. Like that is, I guess, in a way, a benefit to Dave Haxtall before things get back to Seattle, where he is going to be able to line matches. You do get kind of two games to see what happens. You know what I mean? As as Colorado settles in and figures out what kind of matchups they want or really what matchups they want to be avoiding, that can inform which ones then you're going to go with when things go back to, to your barn. So it's definitely going to be an interesting one there. Um, there is there's some stuff that worries me about like playing Colorado right now. Um, RJ, and then I'll get it. We can get into the, the good stuff later. Uh, but the thing that does worry me and we talked about it already is that everyone is getting healthy here. Like everyone is back for them. Landeskog is the one that is not, but he hasn't played with them all year. He's not going to be playing for the playoffs. That's still a big deal because that is somebody who would greatly add to this team's depth that is not walking in that door for them. Um, but still, just the fact that everyone is healthy. I mean, like I said, even Josh Manson's coming back for this. I mean, that's, you know, another just another blue line piece that they can have to give them a different look if they want to. Um, and part of what scares me about that is that this is the first round. 
You know, we've talked about how grueling the playoffs are and how all the hits add up and all of that stuff uh, comes into it. It hasn't happened yet. You know what I mean? You have to lay the groundwork for that and hope you can take the series deep enough for it to pay dividends in the first round. And so the onus is going to be on the Kraken to try to try to build up that physicality, try to hit these guys who have been dealing with injuries all season and try to try to aggravate those things, you know, early on. And that is something that worries me about playing any of these um, kind of top heavy lineups, RJ, is I, I really get scared of them in the first round because those star players haven't taken a beating yet. Those rounds of playoff hockey, they, they do compound. And the Avs had four very difficult rounds last year, but they've had this regular season as little time removed from it. And, and I think you're right. It's That's why it's so difficult to make these these long playoff runs in back-to-back -back years or two, three years in a row. It, it's what makes what the Lightning does so impressive. <laughs> what Tampa has done is just year after year to keep coming back as banged up as they are. Um, but, but yeah, you do have to be the ones to bring that wear and tear and to make your presence felt physically for maybe more than a round's worth in one playoff round. I think that's, you're going to need to have players uh, th that are going to, you know, that are going to wear down the avalanche. I think you're going to need to see that from your defensemen, uh, Jamie Alexiak, Will yep. Borgen, Adam Larson. This is where those guys need to step up and shine and, and um, kind of wear down those avalanche forwards, especially because you can generally get away with a little bit more in front of the net or in certain situations, knowing when you can do things. I think the player that that's most important for actually is Brandon Tanev. Because some forward has to go in and do that. I think the original plan was to have John Hayden go in there on the four check for, you know, seven, eight minutes a night and just finish every single check that he can. Yep. And that adds up on the Avs defenseman. Because I think, again, the, the defense, we talked about that. That's an area where Colorado's got the advantage. They have mm -hmm. more defense depth. But if you can make those guys fear that you're going to come in and finish your check and finish it hard, uh, then that adds up over the course of a series. And somebody needs to do that with Hayden out. And I think that job has to fall to Brandon Tanev, being that toughest four checker, being a bit of a pest, get under guy's skin. We've seen playoff Brandon Tanev before and how successful he can be, but it's really on him to step up. I don't see any other forward on this team in position to do it. Yeah, I, I don't either. And, you know, looking at the stats, the, the hit stats for this year, I mean, Brandon Tanev, up at 190 hits wise, the next highest forward is Yanni Gord at 118, and then nobody else over 100. It's actually Matty Beniers, uh, third most amongst forwards wow. with 79. So you're talking less than half of, of what Brandon Tanev's been able to dish out this year. So yeah, I agree with you. Brandon Tanev has to be the guy that goes in there. I look at Yanni Gord, Ellie Tolvanen's pretty high on this list. Bjorkstrand's high on this list. Maybe that's a, another reason why you want that that line focused on offense is you know you want them almost matched up against Kale McCarr just because they can go out there and be physical against him. Um, that that's a pretty intriguing thing. But yes, I mean the Kraken forwards do not play that physical. We're talking less than a hit a game for most of these guys. Uh, can they can they up that? And yes, can Brandon Tanev shoulder that load? I'd like to see a Ryan Donato. Like we know he can go in heavy on a four check. Um, can't can he kind of ramp that up for this postseason run i'd be intrigued by and or morgan geeky you have the size go put it to use kind of thing you know what i mean it, it's it's a good it's a good thing to bring up so that's yeah. one of the things that that concerns me oh do you have something i would say i think it might even need to be geeky more than donato as much as i think donato is more the natural fit because 
it looks like Donato's going to have to be the four seed. He's going to yeah. have to play center, and he's going to be with Tanev, who should be going in hard, and yep. Daniel Sprong, who maybe isn't the most reliable defensively, assuming Sprong's healthy. Uh, I think Donato may have to even hold back a little bit. So you're, you're really going to have to see Tanev step up there. Yeah, and then the last thing that I worry about a little bit with the Avalanche, RJ, is do you think that there's an element to this group that wants to go out there and prove that last year wasn't a fluke? Or that despite the fact that they've lost a lot of pieces from that team, that they're still a good team. And do you think that that would be something that the Kraken are going to have to go up against, um, you know, right now against uh, in this first round? I think there's an element of that. Whenever you're you're Stanley Cup champion, especially given how easy they made it look. Because it certainly wasn't easy, but as easy as they made it look, I think there's the desire to want to go back and, and prove that you have staying power. And especially when they, when they beat the Lightning to get there. I think they saw uh, a team on the other side of them that uh, was looking at a dynasty. And I think the Avs probably want that for themselves as well. I, I don't I don't think they're going to have any problems with motivation, that's for sure. Yeah. I mean, they've got some maybe the most driven and, and motivated player in the entire league in Nathan McKinnon. You don't need to tell him, him twice that, uh, you know, that how important this is. So yeah, I think you're, you're going to see an Avs team that's going to give everything that they have. Oh boy, didn't we see that too in that final game to win the division and, and secure this matchup for, for Colorado with him with that that individual performance, like I said, the hat trick and then the way he scored that winning goal late in that game too. Like He was not going to let this game go to overtime. That's the kind of thing that scares me about these top heavy teams is sometimes when you are playing against top five, ten players in the world, they can just take over a game when if they decide to, and that's and there's nothing you can do about it. Nothing. It is scary, scary, scary. Um, that's some of the stuff I'm worried about. Is there anything else you're worried about before we get to reasons why we think the Kraken might uh, might have a shot here? All right. The last thing I'll say I'm worried about is special teams. Mm-hmm. Um, the Avs, they're a top five power play in the league. That's going to be very dangerous. We were just talking about maybe some of those best players in the world. Yeah. When, when you have one fewer player on the ice, uh, that just multiplies uh, what those players are able to do. Um, and this is another one where I think it's, it's bad to be playing the abs in the first round of, of all times, mm-hmm. why it's not a good time to play them now. Because if you look at the way that penalties can be structured in the playoffs, some really good re- research has been done on this. There are actually more penalties in general called in the playoffs, but they're very front-loaded. especially in the first round referees kind of want to set the tone and and call as much as they can to try and get the players in line because those whistles are going to go away uh, later as, as far as you go into the playoffs. And so I think staying out of the box is going to be a huge factor for the Kraken, but I think there's, there's only so much you really can at the start of the first round, especially with players as skilled as the abs have. If the standards are really tight, you're going to be going shorthanded. And the Kraken's PK has been much, much improved the second half of the season. I'm confident in it. I believe in it. I do think they have a good PK. But sometimes there's not much that you can do against this talented abs power play. Um, And and this is something that Dave Haxtell acknowledged. I think he got a a question today about um, just the five-on-five and and the Kraken, as good as they are at five-on-five, I think they lead the NHL in five-on-five goals, Mm -hmm. Uh, how much of a factor that'll be. And he did mention, though, it's it's going to take being proficient on the power play and the penalty kill, because I think he even he even alluded to that stat that earlier on in the first round, the penalties happen more often. He said the five on five play is more of an emphasis as you get further into the playoffs. Then you're going to see where the majority of the game, like vast majority is five on five. But earlier on, you're still going to see plenty of special team situations. And 
it's it's not something that makes me feel like the Kraken are doomed, but it's it's something I worry about a little bit. It's definitely something I worry about. And, you know, look, the bottom line is, yes, they've got the scary power play. Our power play has been one of those kind of make it or break it things for this Kraken team. Games in which the Kraken score a power play goal, and I don't have the numbers to back this up, but boy, often when I'm doing those post games and I look down at the at the box score, uh, we're having dance parties on the nights that the Kraken score a power play goal, and the nights that they go 0-3 or 0-4, those are the therapy sessions. You know what I mean? And so again, maybe that's just like confirmation bias or whatever, but we do know that the power play has struggled throughout this season. And so I do think if the Kraken want to pull off an upset against anybody, regardless of what team it is, got to be able to score on the power play. And they were starting to throw in some new wrinkles a little bit during some of those Arizona games. Um, Maybe not so much during those Vegas games. Uh, It looked like it was kind of back to the way things were. But I do think that that's going to be a big thing for this Kraken team is, is the special teams battle because otherwise, you know, we can talk about depth versus top loaded that might cancel each other out. Even goaltending could cancel each other out. We could talk about that next. The special teams thing is the one that it feels is pretty solidly in the avalanche's favor entering this series. So if you do want to upset the favorite team, you got to find a way to get that at least back to even. And, and so that's going to be a big battle for the Kraken. Um, do you want to talk about goaltending RJ? Cause it's one of the things that is the most intriguing to me about this series is, is the goaltending match. Yeah, I definitely want to talk about goaltending. And you have to talk about goaltending for any playoff series matchup. It's by its nature, a small sample size and over a small sample size, goaltending can swing things more than any other factor. We've talked about a lot of other things, Mm -hmm. but you know what? If one goaltender plays amazing and the other one plays terribly in this series, we know who's going to win. Not not much else is going to matter. So I think we have to talk about goaltending. I think we have to start with Philip Grubauer playing against his former team. Yeah, I, that's that's the biggest thing. And, you know, I got to think he's going to be motivated. You got to think that it was tough for him to watch that former team go and win a Stanley Cup last year without him. I, you know, I can't imagine anybody alive who wouldn't say that that was frustrating. Uh, so I think that that's a big motivator for him. I think that's a big deal. And I got to think he's going to come out really, really hungry to, to try to prove that, you know what, he made the right decision in leaving that group and joining the Seattle Kraken. And we've seen it in these games that he's played against Colorado in the regular season since he joined the Kraken. He looks hungry. He looks motivated. And he's performed really well. And that's one of the more encouraging factors to me about this series is that as let's call it suspect, as the Kraken's goaltending has been at times this season, uh, the Avs are the one team that I felt truly confident that you're going to see the best out of Philip Grubauer. And that's going to make a big difference in this series. Uh, talked with Grubauer a little bit yesterday. Um, I think the first question was, are, are they going to be grueling for you in Colorado at Ball Arena? He's like, I don't know what we'll expect. I think some fans might be confused about what to do. Um, <laughs> but there, there's definitely those connections with his former team. He mentioned that he texted his uh, his former goaltending coach, I believe his name's UC Parkala, uh, about a week ago saying, hey, I'll, I'll see you in the playoffs um and that was before it was was settled or anything so i guess he called it and then he texted him again uh, once the matchup was finally decided so you know uh, there's that relationship there with his former goalie coach and i was really curious about this i asked uh grubauer um about the fact that he had played with so many of those players on the same team on that abs team he had faced their shots in practice 
a lot of different reps and and there's the whole narrative of like look they get the book on you or maybe you get the book on them you know which way does it go does it go both ways and I, his answer was interesting to me he said like well you know how many guys really are, are left from that team from when i was there like um yeah i mean you, you do get to see like you know miko and nate and and get to know their tendencies a little bit in practice but like it, it's a whole different team which i thought was kind of odd because i did look it up afterwards and there are still 12 players on the avalanche that were on the team when he was there. I feel like that's a, a not insignificant number. No, that's a, that's a decent amount of guys I'd say. Yeah. Um, but it's, it's an interesting one and you know, it's going to be a tough battle because like, if you just look at season stats, right. Uh, Seattle with Grubauer is walking in and they have the worst goalie of, amongst the two, obviously assuming that Alexander is it Georgiev? Like I believe it's the Georgiev. Gorgiev. It's been changing all the time, depending on who announces yep. it. I remember infamously John and Eddie had different pronunciations during the last Colorado game. It really confused me. Um, but it's going to be a really interesting battle between the two because based on the season's stats, it would obviously favor Colorado there. But if you look in the last month, RJ, do you know how many games Georgiev has played in it since April? Since April began. Uh, let's see. So that's about two weeks mm -hmm. worth. Um, how many games he's played? I mean, I'll go like four, four or five, seven, including both on the 13th and 14th and the 11th. Like he's just been playing crazy amounts of hockey right now. And you know what? His numbers aren't that great. So I do think that there's a chance that they might be burning him out in Colorado just because he's been needing to, to shoulder a big load here late in the season. And, you know, uh, Philip Grubauer has played five in the month of April and Grubauer's save percentage is higher. I know it's not the best stat in the world to look at and everything, but the bottom line is Philip Grubauer, I think, is coming in a little bit more rested and he's playing a little better at the current moment. Uh, and I think that that's something worth keeping an eye on as well. That's interesting. And I, I looked up uh, Georgiev here and yeah, I mean, he's um, six Oh and one in his last seven, but yeah, the, the same percentage number. Yeah, I know he's, yeah. he's winning because this avalanche team is really good. Uh, Nine seventeen save percentage in that stretch. Um, so I, I'm, I'm still like his, his season numbers are very good. Heck he's tied for the league lead and wins. I know that's not a very good goalie <laughs> stat at all. Um, but you know, the save percentage is good. The goal save of expected is good. Um, and, and generally he's had a very good season, but burnout, it, it's always a concern, especially cause he hasn't really faced this kind of workload mm -hmm. before. Mm -hmm. um, and, and you never know. Some goalies can do it. No problem. Others can't. Um, so it, it's a big question mark. And look also playoff hockey. Georgiev, he has not started a playoff game in his NHL career. Yeah. There's still that. Philip Grubauer has the experience edge. Um, and, and you never know what you're going to see from a guy come playoff time. I, I think interesting, too. I think he might be one of those goalies that's kind of coachable to shoot on. And this was something that I was kind of first clued into when we were watching uh, the Kraken Avs game um, a little while ago where – all broadcast Edzo was talking about you gotta shoot low you gotta shoot low yeah. he doesn't want to go down shoot low shoot at the pads shoot at the pads guys all game I mean you know how Edzo will harp on yes. certain things he's usually right yeah um, but he will harp on stuff like that all game and I don't think the Kraken ever fully learned that lesson in the game but like it's, it's one of those things that when you're able to do that more intense film study on a goalie and, and get to know them like Georgiev he, he stands up a lot more than most NHL goalies. And if you can throw some pucks down low, maybe they get by him or maybe they generate rebounds. So it's the kind of thing I, I like that goaltending matchup, just given how the Kraken play, if they can send lots of pucks his way. 
yeah, I agree. I, I do think that that's something, you know, again, you got to go in with a plan uh, for all of this, for all of the playoffs. When you, when you know what team you're facing, this is the benefit of facing that same team over and over and over, is that you can develop a plan. You can develop strategies. You can then you know, work and tweak on those as the series goes on. But that's a, that's a big benefit um, that you don't get during the regular season as you're having to play one team one night and then maybe a different team the next night and then you've got one day off and then you've got a third team involved, right? It's it's it, You have to just focus on what you can do in those situations, but now you actually get to incorporate what that other team you're going up against is, and I feel like nowhere is that maybe more important than when it comes to scouting that other team's goalie. And, and yeah, if, if there is a book out there on Georgiev, then you have to go out there and, and make it work. And I do think that, um, you know, if the, if the Kraken can look at those last, that last game or his last couple games, see what works, then yeah, go for it. And, and I trust in the, again, in the Kraken's ability to, to go out there and do that. Yeah. And I trust goalie coach Steve Briere also, because we know he gives guys the pre-scout. We, we've heard yeah. from players too that, oh yeah, he told me to shoot high glove or he told me to shoot, uh, you know, to shoot five hole or whatever, to be looking for that. And, and it's resulted in some cracking goals this season. Um, it's, it's not just coaching up the goalies. That's the goalie coach's job. It's also scouting the opposing goalies yeah. and giving guys some inside info. So I'm uh, curious to see what Steve Briere, uh, what scouting report he can draw up on Georgiev. Definitely. So now let's let's work on some some positives, RJ. Some things that maybe give us some hope for this series. All right. Uh, the big one. Well, I guess we just kind of talked about it. For me, one of them was Georgiev burning out, maybe because of how much hockey he's playing. And I will say, I went and I looked up a bunch of like different like beat reports and stuff for for Colorado, and a lot of them have talked about that. A lot of people mm-hmm. who cover the Colorado Avalanche are worried that maybe they played him a little bit too much here late in the season just to just you know entering the playoffs um i do think that that's an issue um the other thing though is like i've I already brought it up earlier this is a banged up team a lot of guys are carrying injuries over with them into the playoffs we talked about how the first round generally isn't the best time to play a team because you can't they don't they aren't beat up already so as an underdog you have to do all that work and hope you can last long enough to see it pay off Colorado might be the one exception because you're going to have guys like Kale McCarr coming in. He's missed a quarter of the season. Josh Manson coming in. He's missed a ton of time. Basically since December, he's missed. You've got Nathan McKinnon who missed a whole month earlier in the season. You've got guys like Nichushkin who missed a significant amount of time. Even an Evan Rodriguez has missed time. All the way up and down this lineup, you look for the Colorado Avalanche and you see very, very, very few people who played all 82 games. In fact, you only see four of them. That's a big deal compared to the Kraken who have been remarkably healthy all throughout the season. So I do think that if you are the Kraken, go ahead and start laying the body on some of these guys early on in the season, in the series. And it's possible you can aggravate some of those, you know, pre-existing injuries or, or aches and pains that are already coming bleeding over from the regular season for them. And you can tell when you see players who have, uh, who are, are just coming back for the playoffs that maybe they're not even healthy enough that if there were just more regular season games that they would be playing. So, yeah. and, and with Kale McCarr being one of them, I mean, that is huge. We still haven't seen him play after coming back from whatever his, his most recent injury is. Um, so you can do that. And, and also, again, whenever a team goes on a deep cup run, 
there are so many little small nagging lingering things that happen. Um, yep. That's the one case where you can be sure that your opponent is going to be dealing with some injury in, things injury wise is when they just went on played four playoff rounds uh, the year before that's, that's mm -hmm. guaranteed. I, I know it, it sounds terrible saying that, but like there's this conversation, basically if you win a Stanley cup, the question is not like, you know, well, how banged up are you going to be? It's like, what surgery are you having afterwards because yeah. of what you played through? And, and it's just to a man, that's almost the case. Um, and so the Avs just went through that last year. And, mm -hmm. and there's a reason that it's so difficult to repeat. Um, you know, we've seen the Lightning and Pens as repeat champions, but it was a long gap before that. You just generally don't see it. Um, so whether that, you know, it has, shows its effects later on in the playoffs or or maybe in the first round. I mean, this Avs team is as beat up as, as almost any coming into the playoffs. Yeah, and just to, just to put it in perspective, the Kraken, they, they only had five players reach 82, but if you, if you do 80-plus games, Kraken, nine players played 80-plus games this season. And some of those guys at 81 were people like Vince Dunn who just got, you know, game off for rest late in the season kind of thing. So Kraken, again, a lot a lot healthier coming into this series than the avalanche have been over the course of the season. Um, what about you, RJ? Things that, things that, you know, stick out as, as being positives for the Kraken on your end? I mean, I think I keep going back to the, you know, the season series, but the fact that we haven't seen the, the star players kind of break out in any of those regular season games that you've seen three really close games that I think it, it profiles is if you can keep the games close, you've got a real shot as any kind of underdog. And I think they've been able to do that with every game being decided by, by one goal. And also that I mentioned this in kind of the season preview thing too, where uh, you look at their top dogs for, for Colorado, they did get big ice time in those yeah. games. You had McKinnon and Rodson with 25 minute games. You had Kale McCarr with a 28 minute game and the Kraken were able to withstand those and get wins in those games. So um, I, I just, I, we haven't seen the stars fully take over yet. Um, and, and that's something that's a, a positive for me, just given what the, the Kraken have already done and, and who they have in their lineup, it's, it's going to be similar to what they've done. And also the fact I know that I have a question for you on this, Dylan, because mm -hmm. you, you've, I'm sure you've been reading a lot of Colorado beat reports. You, you've seen this. One of the things that's mentioned a lot is that the Avs were playing on the second half of back-to-backs for a couple of those matchups. I mean, yeah. how much do you think that was a factor in maybe them not being their best? I don't want to go away from the optimism here, but I, know. I, I just think, yeah, go ahead. I, I have my opinion on this, but I, I want to hear yours. I, I think it, it, it matters some. And I think that there's always going to be some level of look, the best players show up for the playoffs. And I think that that goes across all sports. I think that's just something that happens is the playoffs for everybody. Everybody's able to dig that little bit deeper and for the best in the world, they're able to, you know, get that much more out of it kind of thing. Um, I think it matters some because it's, you know, with a team that is as banged up as the Avalanche are, when you are having to play second half of back-to-backs, it's it's that much worse and harder on you because maybe it means that some of those guys, like you said, had to play more minutes just because the depth wasn't there that night. And, you know, so they're having to play, say, 25 minutes on back-to-back -back nights, and it's just, it's a lot. So I do think that there is an element to it, but I also feel like, you know, look, the Kraken really tried to prepare for those games against the Avalanche, it felt like, just because they are, you know, the, the Stanley Cup champions, everybody kind of does that. And the bottom line was, I felt like the Kraken were able to also just kind of game plan against the Avalanche, and I don't want to take anything away from that either. Right, and, and my opinion on that too is that, I mean, yes, there's an element of fatigue there, but 
I don't think it's going to be any more than what a playoff grind is where you're no. playing every other day in playoff style hockey. I think you're going to be every bit as exhausted at least. And, and that, I guess, brings me to the other positive that I had was that you've got playoff overtime potentially in your favor. Yep. If you're playing close games, that's kind of where I was going with that. If you're playing close games and you are stretching games to overtime, the, every additional minute of hockey that you can stretch this series every additional hit that you can lay on the abs and it goes both ways but the more you can stretch out a series and and play overtimes the more that's going to benefit the kraken because they're they should be fresher they should be healthier um and they're not necessarily eyeing up this you know stanley cup title defense i think you're kind of playing with house money at this point mm -hmm. if you can you know really expend a lot of your energy to get past colorado in the first round and then you know then you deal with whatever comes next i think colorado if you're looking at winning another stanley cup and i think anything less than that has got to be considered a failure just given that that's the standard you've set uh, you have to be looking past the first round a little bit. Yep. And so if you get something in the second, third overtime and you're forcing abs players to play 30, 35 minutes, um, that's something that's going to benefit you in the long run. It kind of plays into what we've talked about already. But, um, you know, in the regular season, it's limited. You got the five, five minute overtime, three on three, and that's it. And, you know, shootout, uh, you know, that's not going to add any more wear and tear. But um, I, I think the Kraken can kind of try and make this into that battle of attrition and the playoff format allows you to do that. Exactly. That's a, that's a very good point you can you make there. And yeah, you know, if you can get Kale McCarr up into that Cam Fowler territory of 40 minutes just <laughs> for some reason, uh, that's that's definitely going to benefit you. Um, you brought up something right before we started recording that I think was a very good idea to bring up, and that's the idea of picking X factors for this series, RJ. Because I, I think yeah. that that's going to be a lot of fun. So I want to hear from you uh, kind of who your X factors are for. I mean, did you did you have in mind we would pick from each team or just for the Kraken? Yeah, I was I was thinking for each team. OK, then why don't you go ahead with with your X factor, uh, RJ, for should we start with Colorado first? Yeah, let's let's start with Colorado. All right. All right. So I, I'm going to go with my X factor for Colorado. Um, and I was trying to do something different than McKinnon and McCarr because obviously those guys, you know, they could just take over. But I I'm going to go with JT Comfort. Um, <laughs> that's what? what I was going with. All right. That's oh, fine. That's okay, fine. That's fine. I'm sorry, Dylan. I, I, no, it's I fine. Mean, I, I think there are obvious reasons that, that we would maybe look in that direction. Mm -hmm. And you yeah. look at the, the Avs playoff run they had last year and how big a part of it that Nazem Kadri was. But look, he's not on this abs team anymore. And JT Comfer has largely had to step into that role and, and kind of be their second line center for most of the season. And he's he's done a good job filling in on that role, doing some things I wasn't sure he was capable of. And he's going to have to do that in this series. I'll, I'll try and leave some for you here, Dylan. Um, but what, why did you have JT Comfer as an X factor for well, Colorado? I was just going to say, because he has been the guy that they have leaned on when they can't lean on their other stars. And he's, for the most part, lived up to that. He's a very good two-way player, really underrated when it comes to a lot of that stuff. Um, I think that his dependability and, and his utility is super important to what the Avalanche have done, especially if they can't rely on any of their stars or if their stars are getting shut down somewhere else. So I think for all those reasons, he's really the guy. Um, I, I mean, I was split between him and, and this other player. So if you want to finish on Confer, then I'll just talk of the other guy. Okay, I mean, well, yeah, so I think Comfort, too, if you look at maybe some of the line matchups for maybe when Colorado's controlling things, 
Mm-hmm. He's he's probably going to get you know one of those top six matchups uh, against the Kraken, and he might have to be kind of their shutdown guy with with how well he's played defensively. You want to free up McKinnon and Rontanen to go out and uh, and and do what they do. So he's he might have to shut down. I mean, potentially even that Maddie Beniers line yep. that's just been on fire for the Kraken, and and so that might be one of the matchups you have to look at. Um, so yeah, JT Comfort and, and whoever he's playing with, because I'm looking at the uh, the line combinations here they've had all season and i mean there's just so many of them um but he's gonna have to kind of be that steady presence in the middle of whoever his line mates are gonna be yeah so the other guy that i was i was on the fence i was on the fence and i had just kind of in my mind decided on confer when you said his dave so that's 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 why i'm totally fine talking about this other player and that player is evan rodriguez Mm, okay i like that rj when if you look at the at the uh, Colorado Avalanche's expected goals leaders. It goes as you would expect. Mikko Rantanen, number one. He obviously played the full season. That makes sense. Nathan McKinnon, number two. Incredible player. Evan Rodriguez is third on this team as far as expected goals. And he only played in 69 games. Uh, hasn't eaten up a ton of ice time. He's just super efficient at driving offense when he's out there. Very healthy, good-looking Corsi 4 percentage. Obviously, the expected goals numbers are there. And what's impressive about it for me is the fact that he does so much of it while starting in the offensive zone so little. Only 15.3% of his shifts starting in the offensive zone. That's, that's less than even JT Comfort. Okay, Evan Rodriguez just goes out there and he finds a way of putting pucks on net and then they end up going in talking about a shooting percentage of only 8.7. So he's generating all of this offense while starting in his own zone or in the neutral zone and he's doing it for this team that desperately needs that you know, elsewhere on their lineup. And so I know we talked about JT Comfort being their utility piece. He's the guy who can help shut down the Kraken. But the bottom line is if Colorado is going to get by and have their depth wake up and do anything, I think it's probably going to be driven by Evan Rodriguez, somebody who's also pretty motivated to prove that he does belong in, you know, in a big role on a Stanley Cup contending team as well. This will be his first playoffs out of the shadows of, you know, a Sidney Crosby and all that kind of thing. And so I think that that's a big deal for him. So I'm I'm really interested and intrigued to see what Evan Rodriguez can do. And hopefully, I mean, hopefully it's not too much, but I do think that <laughs> if he shows up for the avalanche, it could take a big bite out of the Kraken's like depth, you know, advantage. Right. And he was one of the solutions that Colorado went to in a cap world. You're, you're going to have your depth gutted. You're going to have to try and find replacements for that. And they managed to sign Rodriguez to a, a bargain of a deal this offseason uh, as a lot of teams kind of passed on him as a free agent but he took the opportunity to go and prove himself again after one real breakout season with Pittsburgh and, and I think he's done that uh, so far with Colorado I think he's going to want to continue that into the playoffs yep and important to note last season with Pittsburgh as well five points in seven games three goals in those seven games he played really well in that yep. in that Penguin series that they ended up losing and- and when you're watching him play too, as you as you watch these games, he he's a smaller player. He's yep. really not that big, but boy, is he slippery! Like oh, he yeah. can get in between players. He can, uh, you know, go right through you with the puck, and, and you don't even notice. Yeah, you're not laying the body on him. Mm-hmm. Just you're yeah, just not. You, yeah, you can't get him in position. You can't you can't time down. Exactly. So now, RJ, Kraken X factors. Who do you have as the difference maker for the Kraken? 
All right. Well, here, should I let you go first in case, because I have, I actually have a few names. I can pivot based on who you pick. I want to give you the first choice. Or if, okay. you, if you want me to go first, I'll go first. No, I, but, I can go first. Game. My safety, my safety net in case you had picked my guy was going to be Philip Grubauer, which is maybe a little bit of a cliche and whatever. Okay. But... That's too, I wasn't picking him. That's too obvious. He's going to be very important, of course, um, you know, as, as both say, goalies will be, but it's, his, it's yeah, his we'll, we'll go with the skater. I was going to say it's Philip, it's Grubauer's time to prove all the doubters wrong prove you know i've been i've been backing him up all season on twitter discord certainly during some of these post-game live lives i would love grubauer to go out there and play fantastic but my real x factor for the kraken is actually going to be jamie alexiak uh you, you touched on some of it earlier when you talked about how he needs to step up and play more physical i think he has the, he certainly has the capability he has the size we've seen in a lot of ways he's kind of like the enforcer on this team he's the guy who goes and handles the fights whenever somebody needs to but the bottom line is this is a guy who's played 19 minutes in the regular season, probably going to see that tick above 20 for this postseason run. And when you look at things, especially like playing shorthanded, he's out there almost as much as Adam Larson is. He's a big part of their penalty kill. And you talked about the importance of the power play for Colorado means that much more for him on the back end. And so I think Jamie Alexiak, look, Larson and Dunn, they're going to have their hands full trying to shut down Nathan McKinnon and Rontanen and all those guys. It's, it's time for Jamie Alexiak and to a lesser extent Will Borgen to be that pairing that, you know what, they can help drive offense a little bit, handle things in the defensive zone cleanly, get it out there, because uh, if the Kraken's depth is going to kind of win the day for them, that back end depth needs to be there to provide that that foundation for it. And so I think Jamie Alexiak, if, if Jamie Alexiak kicks it up a notch, and he plays kind of to the level that, you know, maybe people thought he was going to play when he came to Seattle or that we've seen him play with in the past. I think Jamie Alexiak becomes that guy. And it could be that thing that helps tip things in favor for the Kraken. You know, I like that pick. And, and for a similar reason on my list, one of my pivot options, depending on where you went, was Will Borgen. I knew it would uh, be and for, for you. Yeah, I know. I know. So I think people are going to be pleasantly surprised by what they see from Will Borgen in the playoffs. He is going to be an impact player, in my opinion. But I'll go with something different because you, you chose a defenseman here. And I hinted at it a little bit. I was going back and forth between maybe Yanni Gord, but I'm going to go with Brandon Tanev. And I talked about a little bit with his role of having to play the body, how important that's going to be. Nobody else is, is going to do it. Like I looking up and down this forward group, I don't see anybody else who, who's going to be capable of being that physical presence that John Hayden was supposed to be. Mm -hmm. It all falls on Brandon Tanev. And, and also just given his contract, given his situation, this is when he has to shine mm -hmm. because otherwise he look, he's there for the playoffs. He's, he's not, he's a very good regular season player. He doesn't hurt you in the regular season at all. But given his production and being a fourth liner, you know, it's, it's a little bit more expensive of a contract than what you'd want. But the reason that you have that on board and the reason teams found it valuable is because of what he brings in the playoffs. And that's not just the physicality. That's not just being a pest as important as that is. And I really be a pest, like get under their skin. That's one of the things Brandon Tanev is so good at doing. You don't really want to do it in the regular season because there's, you know, kind of limited payoff when you're playing different teams. But over the course of a series, being a pest, absolutely huge if you can just annoy the other team but also the scoring yeah. because if you look at the kraken's fourth line i think that's where a lot of this hinges we talked stars versus depth is the number one thing and that fourth line they're going to have to score mm -hmm. i think that's just simply the fact of where the kraken are at 
you're not going to outscore the Avs top six. I, I really don't believe that. You're going to have to make up those goals at the bottom six. And that means right now it's Tanev, Donato, and if healthy, Sprong. And those three guys are going to have to score goals for you. And Brandon Tanev, he's had a lot of scoring opportunities. He gets some, a lot more breakaways than you'd expect for a player yeah. like him. If he can start finishing, if he can turn that on and, and put that into together into a potent scoring fourth line, that's the Kraken's easiest path to victory, I think. And Tanev's going to have to really do it all. Uh, he's going to have to contribute offensively. He's going to have to lay the body. He's going to have to be a pest. It's a tall task for him. But, I mean, if anyone's capable of it, right? Yeah. It's turbo. He's He's got the energy for days. So that's my X factor. Uh, I like that one. And, yes, you know, history has proven to us if as long as his team is not getting swept in the playoffs, he's good for a goal a series. <laughs> there you go that's, well, that's what it a big tells us and they always are they always are big time goals anytime you get that that contribution from the depth guys it's a big deal come playoff time and that's why i'm looking forward to it with the kraken here any any last bit that you want to talk about before you know we we kind of sign off and we wait to see what happens in in game one on tuesday rj i think we should just repeat that uh it, it's all house money yep have fun with it Kind of t take a page from our, our playoff preview last week where we just talked about the playoffs in general and take a step back and look at the situation the Kraken are in. We would absolutely take this going yes. into this season. Um, I mean, this the Kraken are ahead of schedule and it's time to have fun. That's what this is all about. And you, you take whatever good comes from this series and you, you shrug off the bad because you'll get you'll get some measure of both. And I think the key is just to have fun with this and really embrace go, going and playing against the defending champs. Like that's, you know, in a lot of ways, the most fun potential matchup you could have. No pressure going into it. It's it's all gravy. Just enjoy it, everybody. Yep. No, couldn't have said it better myself. Enjoy it. It is playoffs. The Kraken are in. And we finally get to see some Seattle playoff hockey, the NHL level again, fighting for Lord Stanley's Cup. It's been a little while for the, for the city of Seattle, <laughs> but we're back there doing it. Can't wait for it, everybody. And, of course, join us for all the post-game lives because those are going to be those are going to be oh, something. Yeah. <laughs> definitely, definitely <laughs> cannot wait for those after some postseason games. Really looking forward to it. Uh, thanks, everybody, for joining us for this one. Thanks to Queen Anne Beer Hall for sponsoring this podcast. We'll see you all next time. Hey, everyone. Before we go, we just wanted to give a quick shout out to all of our awesome patrons over at patreon.com slash emeraldcityhockey, especially our Terror of the Deep patrons. Absurdly Sane, Alex, Andrew, Anonymous, Ben, Burnt Creme, Kaylin, Chris, Cody, Connor, Coop, Daryl, DJ, DJ Singletone, Duthin, Eli, Elizabeth, Evan, Habak, Gaby, Gary, Gregory, Jay, Jane, Jeremy, Jessica, Joni, Joshua, Keegan, Kepler, Kitty B. Kraken, Leanne, Light, Lonnie, Mark, Maya, Michelle, Noah, Nunya, Paige, Paul, Rebecca, Sarah, Scott, Sean, Sergey, Shoeshine, Skeletal Tendency, Steve, Steven, Striatic, Hasty Kobold, Team YMIAT, Tank Commander Ty, Wendy, Strife, and Zane. Thank you so much for making all this possible. We really appreciate your support.